You're listening to episode 75 of the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm Jamila's mom, and today she's going to be interviewing me on the show. <laughs> Good job, mom. T minus 10 seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Hi, welcome back. If you are a returning journeyer, if you're new to the podcast, grab a seat, get in the rocket, let's take off. I'm really, really excited to bring you probably the most important and special interviews that I've done to date, as you heard in the intro. It's with someone very, very special to me, and that's my mom. So I wanted to interview my mom for a number of reasons, and the first one is that I talk about her so much and give her credit for my story, for how I became the person I am today. So why not bring her on the show so you can hear it for yourself? Also, as you're here in our conversation, We're going to explore how she was able to raise me as a young, single immigrant mom to be the person I am today, how she, without much, put me in a position to build wealth, to shorten that wealth gap from her generation to my generation, and how I'm taking that wealth baton and passing it on to my kids so that they can get even a better start than I had. So she put me in this amazing position to prosper, which is why I am excited, excited to share that this podcast episode is sponsored by Wells Fargo on a financial education initiative, Prepare to Prosper. It's designed to build financial capability and help address the African-American wealth gap. And that's why I'm so excited to bring this to you today, this episode, because it's featuring my mom. We're going to be talking about this wealth gap. And you'll hear in the interview what she was able to do for me, preparing me to prosper. And that's why I'm able to be in the position I am today. So it was like a no brainer, an immediate yes, when I was asked to talk about this campaign and all the amazing things that Wells Fargo was doing to help address this alarming wealth gap issue for black people. So let's briefly just talk about the wealth gap, what it is, and what Wells Fargo is doing to help address it before we get into the interview. Now, these stats are from the Economic Policy Institute, Forbes Magazine, and the U.S. Census Bureau. But here are the stark facts. In 2016, the median wealth of white households was $171,000. That's 10 times the wealth of black households, which was $17,000. For most U.S. families, a home usually comprises the largest portion of their assets. Only 45% of black Americans own a home compared to 73% of whites. Blacks are less likely to have jobs that include employer-sponsored health care, retirement plans, and paid time off. So this results in spending more of their savings on emergencies, lacking funds to start businesses, and fewer options for wealth building. And that's just some of the stats. So this is why this is such an important topic to talk about. And that's why I strongly believe that it's the responsibilities of companies who are taking our money, who we are working with, who are in our communities, doing business with us to help provide these solutions and address the issue. So it is so nice to see that Wells Fargo is working with community-based organizations to fund housing counseling programs, deliver home ownership education, to teach savings and good credit, and to really help address this wealth gap. They have tons of free resources and tools and services on their site. And so I want you to go check that out at wellsfargo.com slash financial dash education. There you'll find tons of articles and tools to help you with credit management, learning how to invest and reaching your financial goals. Again, you can find more information at wellsfargo.com slash financial dash education. Okay, and without Further ado, I want to hop into this conversation with my mom. If you want any of the episode show notes for this, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 75. All right, let's jump in. Hey, 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 journeyers. I am so excited to have a very, very special guest, my mom. Hi, mom. Hi, Jamila. How are you doing? I'm good. (laughs) So I wanted to have you on the podcast because I talk about you a lot. I talk about you on this podcast. I talk about you in basically every interview when someone asks, you know, why I'm I who I am today and my experience and 
what has allowed me to become the Jamil I am today. And I give all that credit to you. I talk about you being a single mom, having me at a young age and coming here from Jamaica. I'm sure people, my listeners, journeyers are almost probably sick of me always saying that. (laughs) But I thought it'd be really interesting to actually have you on the podcast and share your story because I do feel like what you were able to accomplish coming here from another country as a young single mom and putting me on the track and on this level that I am today, I mean, it's amazing. Like, I'm impressed. Being a mom myself now, seeing how hard it is, and I have help. You know, I have way more help than you had. I have a lot more resources than you had. And it's still hard. Or You know, it's still just, it's still just a struggle in terms of just balancing that all. So I thought it'd be really inspiring. Hopefully, journeyers, if you heard from my mom directly, her experience and just how she raised me. And then hopefully you can draw some tidbits from that for inspiration for your own life. So all that to say, thank you so much, mom, for being here. You're welcome. So I know you're nervous and that's okay. We are just going to talk normal, right? We're going to pretend the mic is not here and we'll be okay. (laughs) All right, mom, I want you to like just tell everyone a little bit about like your background, like where you were born and your life growing up in Jamaica. Um, Hi, everyone. I was born in St. James, Montego Bay. I grew up in different parts of the country. So even though I was born in St. James, I lived in Westmoreland. That's where my mom is from. I also lived in Kingston for maybe about three years. And then I went back to Montego Bay. And that's where I went to part of my elementary school education, but definitely my entire high school education. So you spent basically, I mean, most of your growing life, I guess, your coming of age in Jamaica. Um, And so when did I come into the picture? Like how did, cause you were young when you had me, right? So like, how was that? Just talk a little bit about becoming pregnant with me and then like finding out and how that changed things for you. I had finished high school in Jamaica at about 17 going on 18. And I got pregnant with you at 19 and had you at 20. I already graduated from high school and did one year community college in Jamaica. They had what's called community college, but it was just for one year. And I attended, they offered a secretarial studies there. I mean, I did it. It I wasn't interested in it. It was just that there was nothing else to do. After I finished that, I worked for a short time in Montego Bay at a government office. And it was after that that I got pregnant with you and had you at 20. Now, when you were nine, about nine months old, that's when I left you and came here to uh, Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. So I just want to step back because... Again, I can't imagine being so young and having that responsibility. What were you like? What were your emotions? If you could put yourself back in your like those shoes, like you know, time travel back. Like, what did you feel? Like, what, what? Like, did you feel like your future was more bleak? Did you feel disappointed? Were you excited? I'm just curious, and it's okay to be honest. Thinking back, I was a natural people person and I love children. I used to help with my nieces and nephews. So when I got pregnant with you, I wasn't ready to have a child. I was shocked, surprised. At the same time, I know it's it's my responsibility. So I just accepted it and said, you know, it is what it is. I can't send this baby back to where it came from. So I'm just going to have to deal with it. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you talk about that you left me at nine months old in Jamaica. So what prompted you or how did you, how were you able to come to the U.S. and leave me behind? How did that all work? My father sponsored me when I was in high school. He had petitioned for me to come to the United States because he was already here with his family. He was married and he had um, his wife and two children with his current wife. 
And so when I was in high school, he had petitioned for me and two of my other siblings by him. But the paperwork took a very long time to come through. So if it, it was supposed to come through while I was attending high school, but it didn't. So it was after I had you that my father came to Jamaica because he was wondering what was taking so long. It's been well over the time. So when he came out to investigate to find out what was happening, I already had you and the paperwork came true soon after that. So I had no choice but to come because... I could have stayed, but at the time, there wasn't much options for me in Jamaica. My mom was there, but she was doing her best to help support me and you and my younger brother. So I took the opportunity to come once the paperwork came through. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, you knew that you would have a much better chance of making a life for yourself if you came to the States. And so you came to New York. You came to Brooklyn, New York. I came to Brooklyn, New York, where my dad lived. Yes. Okay. All right. And so what did you do? So I'm imagining now you leave me behind, which I can't even imagine being out. Like, how was that? And what was, what were you like? I was was devastated. And that was really, really hard. That was the hardest thing I had to do because I felt like I was abandoning you. And I just didn't want to do that. But I realized at that time, if I came to America, that I could finish my education and I could take advantage of the other opportunities that I have here. So because my mom was there and I felt a little bit more comfortable leaving you with her. So I came, it was hard. It was really, the first couple of months, I was devastated. And I, you know, I decided I have to get a job as soon as I can because I need to work to take care of you. You are my responsibility. So did you, when the, was the plan all along that you would come here, come to the United States and then try to bring me up too? Or did you plan on just like kind of sending money back? Like, did you know exactly what you were going to do? Or you was like, let me just, come to New York first and figure it out? I had no idea. Actually, at the time, I knew I was coming to America. I think I had about one week notice that I was coming. I had no idea at eight months that I was going to leave you and come to America. When you turned nine months, I had no idea. When my father showed up, it was a about the week's notice that I have. So everything, the turnaround was so fast that I really didn't have a plan. When I got here, I developed a plan. I'm, you know, I know something had to happen. I have to be reunited with you as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. That was my goal. And there was light at the end of the tunnel because it just so happened that my aunt, who is my mother's sister, was also petitioning for me to come here. And she was petitioning for my mom and for me and my um, brother to come here. So at the back of my mind, I knew at some point my mom's application was going to come through and I don't know how you get to come but I know there will be something, something will happen will, okay so you knew that in your heart that something would work out yeah I kind of said something would work mm-hmm. out first of all I think it's kind of crazy that you had like a week to make that decision I can only imagine okay all right so all right let's like just now jump a little forward to when you're now in New York by yourself I mean you're staying with family but what did you do like what was your first job like now you're not only in like a new country you're in a new country you've never been you were never you never came to New York before that right new country you just left your nine-month-old baby behind which by the way because Blake my my daughter that was just born your granddaughter is six months now so like I feel that as like a mom having a baby that young so you're in a new place and you just left your baby behind what are you now like doing? How would you, where did you even work? Like who, what, what, what were you doing? My father at the time had a cu- cousin that she lived in New Jersey and she was a manager of a Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurant. And he arranged with her to help me get a job. So after staying in Brooklyn for maybe about a month or two, I went to New Jersey to live with my cousin so I could work at the restaurant where she was a manager. And so that was my first job, mm-hmm. working at that restaurant. Now, I didn't ask you this, but did you, like, 
Did you have any money when you came here? I had nothing. So you had like zero dollars, nothing. I had nothing. All right. And so you started working at KFC and now this was your opportunity to have some money to do something with. Yes. Okay. So what did you, all right. So how, how was that experience? Um, and then what, what was that experience like now working at KFC? Like just explain a little bit about your work situation and all that. Um, I put my heart into it, even though I didn't like it, but I was just grateful to have a job and to be able to earn money so that I could send money back home to my mom to take care of you. Because I felt guilty that I had to leave you behind, and at the time my mom wasn't working, so I wanted to make certain that you were provided for. So when I get paid every other week, I send money out of every paycheck that I got back home to my mom so that to ensure that she will be able to take care of you at the highest quality level possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this was a minimum wage job, so I'm sure you weren't making that much, but you, it was probably good money for you. I wasn't working much, but because I was living with my cousin, that was helpful because she didn't charge me rent. So um, whatever I earn it was basically um it was for me and i and i spent it wisely i sent like half of it back home to you and the rest i i guess i saved it took care of myself yeah Mm -hmm. but you weren't like so budgeting or anything what did you know about money at that point it was all in my head i just knew that i couldn't spend everything that i work because I still had to take care of myself, buy my clothes, buy my food. And I even did shopping for you to send you back stuff home. So everything was just in my head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't have a bank account or anything like that. Okay. So what was the next step after KFC? You're working there. Um, I know just knowing you as my mom, you, you're, you're a hard worker and I'm sure like the wheels are turning now. So what do you do after KFC? What is the plan while you're working there? Well, while within the year that I was at KFC, um, my mother heard from immigration that her paperwork was coming through for her to come here. And that made, I was devastated again because um, I told my mom she could not leave you in Jamaica. Because remember, no one had filed for you. When my dad filed for me, I was still in high school. You were nowhere near, you weren't in the picture at the time. When my aunt filed for my mom and put me and my brother on the, in the petition, again, you were nowhere around. So no one, you weren't on any petition to be sponsored. So when my mom heard from immigration and she was told she had three months before the paperwork came through for her to travel. I was devastated. So I told her she need to let them know that she's taking care of her granddaughter and her mom is here and she there was no one else to take care for care of her. And that made me even work more money because I wanted to prove to the government that I could take care of you. So I worked a lot of hours and um, I, you were still just working at KFC or did, I you was, have an, did you have another job then? I was only working at KFC. Okay. Okay. So can I ask this and it's okay if you don't want to answer, but where was my father at that time? He wasn't capable of taking care of me. I mean, he would um, show up at my mother's house and like bring you like your food and milk but it wasn't consistent he did what he could do but I only trusted myself because I knew what I was capable of and I knew that you need your mom so I wasn't going to depend on him to be a consistent caregiver I could only trust myself to do it so I looked at it as if I was a single mom and you were my responsibility because I brought you into this world and I could only trust myself to provide the best that I could for you. Okay. So then how was it then that I was able to come? Did they just let, I guess when 
she let the government know? She did. And they told her, well, she need, I need to provide evidence that I'm capable of taking care of you. So I was getting, so I had to submit my, because I was working less than a year. I didn't even file taxes yet, but I, so I had to submit um, my pay stub to prove that I had an income. And my cousin who I lived with, she had to submit her tax return to prove that, you know, I lived with her and together we were capable of providing for you. And mm-hmm. so we sent the documents and it worked. Okay. So then I come up here at 18 months, right? You were about 18 months. Your mom, My mom took you up. Yeah. Right. So now we are reunited. Yay. Is that a yay? Is it a yay or how was that? I mean, of course. Okay. So when I now come, I mean, it's great now that we're together, but now like I'm physically here. So not only do you have to now still take care of yourself, but I'm here as your responsibility, like in the flesh. How did you deal with that? But what was that like now having me here? So the first thing I did when you came, because when when my mom came, she came to Brooklyn. And so I left New Jersey and came back to Brooklyn so I'll be able to be with you and and provide for you. My mom stayed with her sister for a while until she got her own place. So we all basically just stayed with my aunt until um, we got our own place. Once my mom got her own place, then um, even before she got her own place, I did get a job working at a daycare. So I got another minimum wage job working at a daycare and it helped that I was at type of facility because I could take you and so you'll have somewhere to be. Around that time, I applied to um, to college um, because I knew I didn't want to work a minimum wage job for the rest of my life. It was not going to provide for me adequately nor give you a good quality of life. And I knew having a college education, I mean, as a matter of fact, I give partial credit to my father because even though he wasn't supportive of me um, emotionally psychologically even as a grandfather because he really didn't acknowledge you he basically said when he brought me here that he brought me here to finish my education and so part of me always felt like oh I let him down by having getting pregnant at an early age so I'm going to show him that you know I'm go- I'm going to finish my education. So part of it was to prove to him that having a child didn't mean I couldn't be educated, but the other part was that I felt that was the best way I could come out of poverty because I didn't want to work a minimum wage job for the rest of my life and a college education would at least give me a decent job. So within a year, I applied and I got into college. So let's talk about that because you got into college, but how were you intending to pay for college? Like, how did that work out? Because my income level was so low, I applied to community college and that was the lowest tier of CUNY. So that was more affordable. And because my income level was low and I was a single mom, I did get some financial aid from uh, and grants through the government. Getting it, I felt guilty. So a part of me was like, if, if the government is going to pay for my education, I'm going to make certain I give by the government adequately. I'm going to apply myself to the best of my ability. And that's exactly what I did. I was able to go to college full-time. And I, for every semester that I went, I went full-time and take as much credits as I can. And every semester, I made a dean's list. And I would all, I finished within the two years with, with more credits than I need. And with a very good GPA, because I was on the honor roll every semester, so I must have been doing something good. Mm -hmm. And that was my way of giving back. Like, even though I didn't have to pay for college, I'm not going to waste this grant. I'm going to work for the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, like, I think that drive and that kind of integrity is something that is within me, I would say. I mean, if I could be so humble to say that, because I feel like even though... Maybe I was not as aware. I was still very young when you were doing that. But I know that that's the kind of like that you instill those qualities in me, that like kind of idea that 
you know, almost like to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, so it feels as though I'm just amazed because I'm listening to you like as you're not my mom, like maybe I'm just like interviewing you and you're a stranger. And the fact that you had that kind of drive and integrity at such a young age where maybe some people might, you know, not care or squander some opportunities or feel sorry for themselves because you weren't necessarily in a like a great situation, but you chose not to do that. How, I don't know, how, how did you know to do that? What was the driving force? Because, you know, I think... You were because I didn't want to rob you of a happy childhood. And I believe that while you were young, because when I started college, you were two years old and I involved you in every step of the way. I integrated you within. So it was part of your um, life as a child, because I can remember vividly at two years old when I was going to register at the college, I had you in the stroll and I pushed you because I didn't have much support. So almost everything I did, you're always there. I mean, family members used to call you my pocketbook or they would call you Mm -hmm. little Debbie because you see me, Jamila was with me, but I love it. I just felt that you were my responsibility. And there were people who didn't think that I could do it, but I was determined. I always have that drive. And so when I went to school, I just included you in everything. My drive was that you are not going to follow my footstep. You are going to have it much, much easier. I struggled, but you didn't have to struggle. I never wanted you to struggle. I just want you to have to be full with knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. All right. So you're now finished two years of school. Were you working still at the time or you were just going to school full time? For half the time, I, I worked part time until it become hard, very, very difficult. Then I had to give it up completely. And um, my mom supported me because I still lived with her. And then I did get some help from the government to with you mm-hmm. that was um i was very grateful for that so like food stamps and i never no, no i didn't get food stamps i get medicaid okay. which was good mm-hmm. and then um i did get cash benefits but that literally went to pay for your daycare because where we lived um we didn't have any government daycare where it's subsidized. It was all private daycare. So the money that I got literally went right back into paying the daycare so that while I'm at college, you could be in school. Mm-hmm. So how are you doing with spending? I mean, you had to be on a tight, tight budget. Like you had to, or whether you knew it or not. So maybe you weren't like really actually budgeting, but you probably just watched where every dollar was going. It's not like you could. I did yeah. because I... At the time, I I was just on a very, very slim budget. The main, per, the money that I get, as long as your daycare was paid, that was the main thing because you had to be somewhere. And it was a very, very good daycare. I mean, they taught you a lot. And I really didn't need much clothes. I mean, I didn't have a lot. And you didn't have much clothes. You used to wear a lot of secondhand, but they were in good condition. I remember when you were younger, I did get wick. They used to provide like cereal and milk because you drink a lot of milk. You didn't really eat much food, but so I did get a lot of assistance. And then my mom, of course, because I mean, I lived with her, so I didn't have to worry about food. I didn't have to worry about shelter. And I really didn't need much. Coming from Jamaica not so long ago, I was used to um, living on a simple lifestyle. Um, things that I do now, I have the stuff I do now. I didn't do like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. So you got your degree and what's next? I know you continue like, I mean, let's just like, if we hop forward just so people have like a reference point, you know, you now have your master's degree in social work and you do work now, you worked your way up to have a very good paying job, but from you getting your associate's degree to that, like what was what was that journey like? How did you further your education and know to go to the next level, to the next step? At my first college I went to was a community college. So I earned an associate degree within the two years period. But then after I earned the associate degree, I realized that the job market for de- that degree was at a lower 
scale than if I had a bachelor's degree. And I was very hot at the moment. And I'm like, why stop now? I went for two years, did very well. I want the best for my child. So why not go? So what I did, I transferred my associate degree and I went to a a four-year college and I continued and I went straight and got my bachelor's within two years. Started working before I graduated because the last semester of my four-year college, I started looking for a job because I'm like, it's time to get a full-time job. I can't live on this minimal budget anymore, literally on nothing, and I was ready to work. So I started looking for jobs before I finished. I could have gone straight to get my master's degree because, again, I did so well that I could have gone straight into my master's and spent one year getting my master's. And my professors were encouraging me to just go straight ahead and you could get your master's in a year. But at that point, I was, I needed to start working. So you you needed to earn like some real money at this point. Some real money. So what did you, what was your degree in when you graduated? Well, I graduated with a, a bachelor's degree in social work. Okay, so it was always social work. So when you started working, it was in the social work field. Yeah, I started mm-hmm. working in the social work field. And I went to work for the next 13 years I worked. Okay, before you went back to get your master's. So you before worked 13 years. Yeah. Now what I want to talk about is kind of now you now you raising me and you have a full-time job. So things are... A little bit better in terms of now you at least have some more income, but it's not like you were making a lot of money at that point, right? So one of the things I always remember about growing up is that I always say, you know, we didn't have much, but I I never... You know, I, it's not like I felt that. And I'm no, I don't know if I've made that clear in my content. It's not like I felt poor. I didn't feel disadvantaged or without. I, you always poured into me. Or I, I just remember us being, like you said, I was like your pocketbook. I always remember being with you and you you pouring experiences into me. And I remember you taking me to, like, the museum and all these, like, places. Um, and one of the things that you did that, I mean, I, I credit to to uh, this this knowledge, this 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 drive that I have for knowledge and bettering myself is like reading. So can we talk about that, that you, because you saw, and you could tell the story, what you saw my grandmother doing, because my grandmother, she worked for wealthy people in the city, because that's what you can do usually when you come here as an older woman. Um, at, you know, my grandmother, she was older, so she didn't go back to school. So what she could do was like, either you clean houses or you watch kids. So she ended up watching kids. She would come home and tell you what, and then, all right, I'll let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so my mother was a nanny. That's the job she did when she came. And, I mean, she worked long hours, literally from 7 to 7 every day. And when she get home at night, you know, she'll share stories of her day. And one of the things that I find fascinating is that she will um, share that not just at nighttime during the day, but of course at night before, you know, she had to feed the kids, give them their dinner, give them their bath. And the last thing she had to do before they went to bed was to read to them. And I was fascinated by that because you're talking about reading to a a, a three-month-old baby, a four-month-old, a six-month, I'm like, reading. And it was so much a part of, it was a regular routine and as I observed around me when I was um, around certain ethnic group, I mean, I noticed there was a difference with kids and how they speak and what they know. And then I realized that reading is very, very important. So I decided, well, if reading is important, I'm going to read to you too. So I literally started reading to you as soon as... I think when when you came here, it's not long after uh, when my mom got a job to come home, I started reading to you and it got expensive to buy books. So then I figure out if I joined the library, I could borrow books. So I would borrow, I say, 10 at a time. And every week I go in and I make certain I read those 10 books within the week and I go back and I get 10 and I go back. And you liked it and I loved it. And because while I was in school doing my work, you felt like you're in school too because you associate reading because you want it to be like mommy. Mommy always has to 
to be studying at night, doing papers, you know, writing papers. So you had your books. And I remember I used to give you paper to write on crayons. I mean, you were, you, you know, you were very attracted to learning Mm -hmm. and I was I love teaching you things so whatever I could teach you I just taught you and you just sucked it up (laughs) well thank you for that I really do think that actually um that helps and helped a lot and honestly it's one of the things I want to get back to I don't read enough honestly guys I don't read enough now I want to read more because I remember reading books every night like you said I remember going to the library every week Every week we went to the library, um, and so that, that was just amazing. So thank you for that. Um, so now you're working. At this point, when it came to money, did you know about like how to, re- like, to invest, to create wealth, or you were at this point just wanting to save and still set me up so that I was okay? Like, What was your mindset around money? Because I I, honestly, I don't remember us really having a lot of or any money conversations, but I will say that you were a saver and I think that was also not I think I know that was instilled in me so let's talk kind of about like the money conversations and why we didn't probably have specific ones and then what you did actually teach me about money um I didn't have specific money conversation with you but I was money conscious because my mother was very money conscious. She always believed in saving. She was a she's a lady that doesn't believe in just working and spending everything. And I think I got that from her. And um, we passed that on to you. So even though I didn't understand the concept of you know, how you invest money, I did understand that the basic thing was you should not live from paycheck to paycheck. You shouldn't have to um, be mindful of when the next pay is coming because you're broke and you have bills to pay. So that's one of the things that I live by. And I remember, you know, when at my old jobs not long after college, you know, you had direct deposit. And half the time, I really didn't know when pay, when, when it was payday because I tried not to depend on that next coming paycheck. And I remember people around me was like, they were counting down the days. And as soon as you need to go pick the check up and they, go, they had to cash it and they had to pay. I never wanted to live like that. So I think that helped. Mm-hmm. But and but how did you not live like that? Was it that you weren't spending a lot of money on the, the nice to haves? You know, you weren't buying a lot of things that were unnecessary. Was it that you were continuing to live a simple life with me? And and then it seems like, too, you still were able to use what you had available to you. So it was good that you were able to live with my grandmother, your mom, right? So you were able to save on money that way, right? Not long after I graduated, I stayed another year or two, and then I moved out on my own. So I had more responsibility. But I always make certain that you were provided for, and I didn't believe in spending unnecessary money, you know, places that it wasn't. Um, worth it. So we didn't eat out a lot, but you weren't deprived. I just spend wisely. It was just something conscious. I don't know, maybe growing up in Jamaica, it in a humble way, it's something that's internalized within me. But I just didn't believe in spending money wastefully. I always believe in having something set aside. Um, Jamaicans just say for, for the rainy day. You should always have something for the rainy day. And I guess that's a simple thing I, I live by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, re- I remember you taking me to open up my first oh, yeah. bank account. <laughs> oh, I forgot that. Yes. Yeah. But I, and I know that you reminded me, yes, when you were five years old, you opened, I took you to open your bank account. I remember my mother also encouraged me to do that because she always said, don't let Jamila spend or I shouldn't spend everything I receive, especially for your birthdays and Christmas, that everything shouldn't be spent because you have it. Save it. And then I looked around and I found out that Williamsburg had a minor account. So, I, you know, I took you, physically took you and opened the account. So whenever you get money from for special occasions, I would have you put it into that bank account and it it became something that you did and I showed you how to monitor it so you could deposit the money yourself 
and you'll know how much was in it. And so that account stayed till when you were 14 years old and you got your first summer youth job. I remember when you got your first check, again, my mom said to you, now, Jamila, you know you have to save it. You don't spend everything. And it's your check. It was in your name and what you did. You took most of it. I don't even know because I never really hover over you and try to control you on your money. I just wanted you to internalize that it's yours and you should protect it. So you took it to the bank and you invested most of it. I think you probably took maybe a hundred out and spent because you yourself wasn't a big spender. You never really bothered me for money. You're very humble with money. And I think that helped you. And it's the same account that you kept right through high school and college until you became an adult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I actually like that we're talking about this because, you know, when I think back and people always say, like, how did you do some of the things you did? Like, buy your condo, which we'll talk about um, when I bought my condo at 22 and when I just did certain things. People nowadays, right, will ask me, how did you know to do that or how were you saving? And I, um, like, even though now it wasn't such a vivid memory, like, as you're talking about it now, like, I'm it's bringing back memories. And, like, that's it. Like, that was instilled in me, this 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 idea of you actually taking me to the bank and then you telling me, uh, my grandmother telling me like to save most of it. And so like you said, I got my first job like at 14 and I was working ever since. And I do remember saving majority of my checks. So I always kept that up through college. So having the money to buy my condo partly was when I had this inroads internship and I was making some good money as an intern. I saved most of my check. And but I wouldn't have been able to do that if that wasn't instilled in me that saving conversation. And so while you didn't know and you know I didn't know until recently honestly like a few couple years ago now about really investing and how to grow money, the one thing that was so pivotal I think and I know for me was the saving part of it because it gave me a it gave me a pot of something to do something with. Yeah, and I think one of the things, because I work with um, young people now, one of the things that I find that's holding them back, I s see a lot of the young people that I work with, they get jobs and they have to pay rent out of it or their parents take their money. You know, I wasn't the mom who took my child's money. I think that I was responsible for taking care of you, providing for you your basic needs. And if you're a teenager and you're working, there's no way I could take your money. I'll encourage you to save it because I know that money is going to go towards your future. And another thing, another side note to that is I always encourage you to have a little piggy bank in the house. So apart from saving at the bank, you also had a piggy bank at the house where it was your responsibility to put money that you get in there and to accumulate it and then when it was time to make a deposit you would count your money out of that piggy bank and take it and make a deposit in your bank account mm-hmm mm -hmm. uh yeah like <laughs> Yeah, I need to, you know what, when I now tell my childhood or my story, you know, when people ask me about money habits, I need to make sure I'm also bringing that up because that was a big part of what was instilled in me. You were saying that when I was young, you didn't want to take my money. You wanted me to be able to save it. Yes. So, because it's interesting because now people, when they talk about, oh, how do they instill good money habits in their kids? Some of it is like, hmm, maybe we should charge them rent or we should teach them responsibility where they do have to pay for certain things. Like there was a story or some some stuff going around on the Internet about maybe a mom, I think, charging her kid rent, like basically taking money so that the kid could feel what it's like. Now, was the reason why you did not like you allowed me to to have more control of our money is because you knew I was a responsible kid. Like if I was not a responsible kid or you had some doubts, would you then have maybe stepped in more or you? trusted me because of that like because because I'm because I, I know there's some parents maybe listening who have kids who are younger and they want to make sure or they want to instill these kind of habits in their kids and but they don't know the way to go about it it's like if they do start working do they make them save or is it more you encourage them to save and kind of leave it up to them Okay, I think for me, the reason why I took my approach is that I didn't have 
any assets, any material things. Um, so I didn't own a house. I didn't own a car. I didn't have anything. I did have a college degree and I have a decent job. And I wanted you to have more. So I trusted that the money you have, you would save it and you'd be responsible with it. And the mindset that I had is that I wanted you to be able to own your own. And if I take it from you and if I charge you rent, then it's going to take you a much longer time to have your own. And even after you graduated from college and you came back home and you're in a very, very good job, you're probably working more than me at that time. I refused and you had your own bedroom in my apartment, I refused to take rent from you. We're in a lot of people like, oh, yeah, she should pay rent. And I'm like, no, as long as you're saving it and you're putting it towards your own. I wanted when you leave out of my house, you went into your own. It was, I always wanted you to have your own. Right, like I would launch and stay launched. It's not like I would have to come back because I wasn't, I didn't have the funds. And when I did graduate, so that was around, so this is around the time now. So I graduate from college or the right before I graduate from college, I find the apartment that I bought and you came with me. I remember you com- you coming with me and it was new construction and it was, you know, I needed money to put down to buy it. And I, I had a lot saved, but I didn't have everything that I needed. They needed 10% at the time. So it was a lot of money for, you know, a tw- what was it, 21 or 22 year old to have that. But you helped, you gave me money for that condo. You gifted it to me. You didn't even, you didn't even like do it as a loan. You said, here is a check, which was, you know, a majority of the money that I needed for the first 10%, the down payment. And you just gave it to me. Now I want to know, so this is really important because we're talking about like how to, how to pass the baton down to a generation. So they build wealth. And if it weren't for you, I might not have been, I probably wouldn't have been able to buy that specific like apartment. And that now is the biggest, best thing I did for instilling wealth and now having having assets. So I want to make sure I'm making that clear that you didn't have your own. You didn't own a home. Nope. You, but you were working, but you gave me selflessly, you gave me money so that I can now have something. So thank you one again. I, you know, I thank you all the time for that, but thank you. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about why sometimes like to make, to, to pass down generational wealth, to create that kind of wealth that, you, you have to pay it forward in a way sometimes where you don't have, but you're passing it down to the next generation. You know, I always, I treat parenting from a very personal um, perspective. My approach to parenting is do to my child as I would like done to me. So while I had the support from, you know, my dad sponsored me here, my mom was he was here and helped me with certain things. There was a lot of things that I didn't have. And so no one helped me launch. You know, if I had more help than I had, I could have accomplished more. But at the same time, not having a lot make me who I am and gave me the passion. Because maybe if I did have um, a house, my own home, maybe I would have charged you rent because I was like, okay, this house is going to go to Jamila when anything happened. So, you know, I, in, in order for you to succeed, I wanted you to succeed. I didn't want you to struggle the way I struggled and take forever to accomplish something. And I always have the mindset that if you're okay and you're stable financially, independently, then I'm fine. I always said when my child is grown and finished with college, I don't want her to have to come and borrow money from me. If anything, I want to be able to go and borrow from her, which is not my intention, but it's just to know that you are stable financially and you have your own so that's why I wanted you to have your own because once you're okay I know you're younger you have your whole life in front of you you will accomplish the star is a limit for me I'm like 
I've made my decisions. I've made my mistake. I would be fine. If I live in a small studio, I'll be fine. I don't need a lot to be happy. So yeah, I wanted you to have what I didn't have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you did it. I mean, like I said, like I would not have been able to buy the Dumbo apartment without your assistance um, with that. And I remember, so when I when, so when I put the 10% down and you helped me with that part of the 10% for the apartment, it took two years to build. So that's kind of what you're talking about, where I lived with you for those two years. You didn't charge me rent, but I was able to save a majority of my money before the the whole building was completed. And then mm-hmm. when it was time to close, I had the additional 10% saved. I had the closing costs saved. And I even had a buffer because actually my paycheck did not cover like my mortgage and my living expenses. So me even actually closing on this condo was a risk because I literally was making like just enough money to get by. Like I literally had no money left. And so I actually had to save up a buffer mm-hmm. to be able to live. And like if you like if you were charging me rent at that time, I wouldn't have been able to even like sustain myself in the apartment once I moved in. But moved in, I lived on my, you know, my paychecks. I lived off of some of my savings and it worked. And as I started making more money and, you know, I've done some other things since then. But like I said, I feel like I wanted to make sure I had you on the podcast to talk about this because it is so important, I think, for people to hear a story like this that, one, you didn't have much And you came here without much or anything. And you were able to build a good life for yourself. You know, you have a good paying job. Now you worked your way up. You did the minimum wage jobs. You went to school. You did the single mom thing. Like, you did it, right? And so there's people listening that are probably in your position right now. You know, maybe they're a single mom or they're immigrant or they don't have like a lot. And so, you know, we're talking about this whole financial independence movement and, you know, being able to, quote unquote, retire early and do things you love. And that might seem impossible at this point for some people because there is so much to get over. There's the debt. There's the mindset. There's just the fact that they just don't think they can do it. Mm -hmm. And what I want to make sure is like just highlighted here is that maybe you won't be able to do it because it took you a while to get to the point where since you came here, so I came here at 18 months, you know, I went to college. By the time I got to college, you were doing better, which is why why you you were able to even help me give me money. But that took what, like 18 years for you to like build yourself up to be in a position to help me. So if you're listening, it's going to take a while for you to accomplish things. Yeah, it, it might. It might depending on your starting point, but it's not impossible. And what's even more encouraging, I think, is that maybe you won't directly see the benefit. I mean, you know, like maybe you won't be able to reach financial independence at 40 or 35 because you started later and you had all these things to overcome. But if you have children or you have family that that is coming up after you because you're putting yourself in a better position, they can reach it faster. Like that, that's generational wealth. And I think it's especially important for people of color, um, for coming to, you know, as immigrants especially. So whether you're born here as a person of color, you come here as a person of color, you know, there are just systematic things in which we do need to work a little bit harder to get on the same footing. And that don't write off your journey if you have some things that are not, like, that are not the positives or not the pluses, right? Because if you work hard, you, you keep your eye on the prize, Maybe your your daughter, your son, they will take the baton and be further ahead. Just like now, I'm so much further ahead, obviously, than you were. Now that I have this knowledge and, you know, even me understanding even what investing is. I went to school business management, but I didn't really, I wasn't intentional about investing or saving until I my early 30s. And now I have kids and they'll get the baton way sooner than I did too, right? Like, so it's just like, this is what generational wealth looks like. This is what doing better and doing more looks like, even if it's not a direct benefit to you like today. It's really keeping your eye on the prize and doing the work and trusting the process. So I want you to like, maybe if you want to leave like any encouraging words for someone listening to this, maybe a single mom listening to this, or just someone who thinks that, they might not be able to reach their goals in the time frame they want. Like what kind of, what message do you want to like tell them? As a mom, I always believed that, you know, my child, I only um, speak about you, but I do have another daughter. So my children, they were, they did not ask to be here. 
So it's my responsibility to do the best that I can within my ability for them to give them the best life that I can give them. So if I'm making $200 a week, I'm responsible for giving my child the best out of that 200 or if it's 2000 So for uh, mothers listening, just do it from your heart. And remember, you're obligated to your child to provide for that child, to give them love, not just love, but unconditional love and acceptance and structure. And, and they will pay forward because once you provide for them, you're going to be okay. Because right now I'm fine. My Girls are grown and I'm fine. I don't have to worry about them. I did for them and in doing for them, I was, I think the reward was multiplied tremendously, wherein I don't have to do for them anymore. I do for them because I choose to do. I I, I don't do because I have to, because they're in need. So mothers, fathers, parents, if you're listening, do for your children selflessly and they will be okay and you will be okay Mm -hmm. and i think too it's not like do for them and like give them everything because what you're you're in your story in our story it's like you did for me but it's not like you just gave me everything i wanted and you know it was like you're very smart or you were very conscious and it was it was the necessary things it was the love and attention that's the one thing when people ask me like how did you how did you like have the guts to quit your job or how did you even have the guts to do this podcast? And you, you know, you're doing all these things. And the, another thing that you instilled in me was confidence was to dream big. I always say this. I had big dreams that you never, never like you never made me feel like my dreams were too big. And so in part of also, you know, teaching your kids the foundation. So, yeah, of course, there are probably more specific things we could have talked about about personal finance, but you didn't know. Right. But what you did teach me, what you did show me through always encouraging me and giving me that confidence that I have now has allowed me to take the, to do the things I'm doing. I would not have the confidence and the grit and the know-how to figure things out without watching you mm-hmm. having done it. So, Mom, I just want to thank you again for all that you've done for me. Um, I can't say it enough. And, you know, one day I'm going to buy you a house. I know that. <laughs> I know. I, no. Yeah. You looking around like, what? I am. I am. It's one of, one of my goals, if you didn't know. But I'm going to, I I can't wait to do something like that for you. So thank you. Thank, thank you again. <laughs> thank you, too. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed that lovely conversation with my mom. Isn't? she amazing she's really really i mean i i just can't express how much gratitude i have to her for all the sacrifices that she made to put me in the position i am today i do not take that lightly i do not take it for granted and if you ask me why i work so hard why i am so determined to win it's because of my mom it's because now i have a responsibility to my family to my kids to build upon the wealth that she has allowed me to build. So thank you for joining in on that conversation. And I want you to get a couple things, hopefully from this podcast episode. If you're a parent or a single mom, I hope you can be inspired by this story. And that despite not having the resources that she had wanted herself, she was still able to instill those values in me. I also want you to release any limiting beliefs that you may have about what you can do. So I know things may be harder if you don't have the guidance and resources and the money to start, but that doesn't mean you still can't win or that your kids still can't win. Look at me. Like, I feel like I'm in a position now that my mom and maybe generations past that like didn't have anything would never believe I'm in. And I know that I hope to raise my kids in a way in which now they can pass the baton down to the further generations. Also, I want you to understand that wealth takes time to build. You know, as we discussed earlier in this episode, there is a wealth gap in this country. And so there are systematic things that have stopped us from building wealth as black people, as African-Americans in this country. And while 
we are becoming more educated and there's still a lot of work to be done. It's still something that we should acknowledge, but not just feel like, you know, that's it. There's nothing we can do. You know, we acknowledge it and we move on and we do the best we can. So especially if you're from an underprivileged or underserved background, it's not impossible. It might be a little harder, but it's not impossible. So the benefit of the inherent wealth that you seek may not be realized in the fast track way you want it. It might be realized by your children like it you know, was for my mom and for me, but it will pay off and you will see it if you continue to work at educating yourself and are determined to shorten that wealth gap. So once again, I wanna thank our sponsor, Wells Fargo, for recognizing the importance of financial education and financial education, especially in the black community. So thank you for that. And if you want to see the resources and all the great things that they have going on, you can go to wellsfargo.com slash financial dash education to take advantage of all the comprehensive programs, tools, and resources to help you with your finances. If you want the episode show notes, you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode 75. There I'll add some childhood pictures of myself and my mom. So check it out. Make sure you're also following me on social media as Journey to Launch. I'm there on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Journey to Launch. Hashtag Journey to Launch. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Send me a DM. Share it with your friends. Just let me know. I love when I see you guys talking about episodes on social and when you're letting me know that you shared it with someone. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Remember, this podcast is free, so it's a lot of great information for you to get jump started on your journey. And I just, I'm just happy to have you here on the path with me. So until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers.